This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. So today we're focusing on the next few verses of letter number 26 on old age and death, specifically uh, verse 4 through till about verse 7. And uh, you'll remember from the previous episode that Seneca was kind of talking about how, you know, he's getting towards the end of his life, he can feel himself, or at least his body is kind of withering away, he describes it as as crushed, uh, but nonetheless he says that his mental capacities are still, uh, you know, strong and, and vibrant, uh, and he's saying that even though my body is falling apart, uh, you know, my soul, my mind is uh, still well at work. And so now Seneca is going to go on and give us a few more thoughts about death and old age and dying. Uh, and he's also going to give us, you know, one of his main points that he makes about death in, uh, in a few of his letters, I believe, which is this idea that death is pretty much this final test for the philosopher, for the student of philosophy. You know, it's the real test of whether or not you have become wise, uh, whether or not you have uh, become honorable, uh, because it's that final moment where, you know, your words don't matter, uh, all of your philosophical practice doesn't matter, unless it can prove that you you're going to leave this life with honor uh, and with peace of mind. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to read through these verses, verse 4 through to 7. I'm going to start at the very end of uh, verse 3 here with the last line there, because it kind of leads into it. Uh, and then we'll pick it apart and see what we can take away from these few verses. All right, so Seneca says, quote, Why should one complain or regard it as a disadvantage if powers which ought to come to an end have failed? But, you say, it is the greatest possible disadvantage to be worn out and to die off, or rather, if I may speak literally, to melt away. For we are not suddenly smitten and laid low. We are worn away, and every day reduces our powers to a certain extent." But is there any better end to it all than to glide off to one's proper haven, when nature slips the cable? Not that there is anything painful in a shock and a sudden departure from existence. It is merely because this other way of departure is easy, a gradual withdrawal. I, at any rate, as if the test were at hand and the day were come which is to pronounce its decision concerning all the years of my life, watch over myself and commune thus with myself. The showing which we have made up to the present time, in word or deed, counts for nothing. All this is but a trifling and deceitful pledge of our spirit, and is wrapped in much charlatanism. I shall leave it to death to determine what progress I have made. Therefore, with no faint heart, I am making ready for the day when, putting aside all stage artifice and actor's rogue, I am to pass judgment upon myself. Whether I am merely declaiming brave sentiments, or whether I really feel them. Whether all the bold threats I have uttered against fortune are a pretense and a farce. 
Put aside the opinion of the world. It is always wavering and always takes both sides. Put aside the studies which you have pursued throughout your life. Death will deliver the final judgment in your case. This is what I mean. Your debates and learned talks, your maxims gathered from the teachings of the wise, your cultured conversation, all these afford no proof of real strength of your soul. Even the most timid man can deliver a bold speech. What you have done in the past will be manifest only at the time when you draw your last breath. I accept the terms. I do not shrink from the decision. This is what I say to myself. But I would have you think that I have said it to you also. You are younger, but what does that matter? There is no fixed count of our years. You do not know where death awaits you. So be ready for it everywhere. End quote. Okay, so there are so many things that I really love about these verses and this passionate speech that Seneca gives to himself, you know, talking about how, uh, well, funnily enough, what he's talking about is that all these words that he's speaking, this passionate speech, uh, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. It means nothing. He says that the first line in that little speech that he gives to himself is the showing uh, which we have made up to the present time in word or deed counts for nothing. So even within these powerful words, Seneca is recognizing that uh, really this is this is all just talking. It's all just a show. It's all just an act until we can prove ourselves at that final moment at the event of our death. And of course, you know, we, we know that the Romans and the Greeks, they loved an honorable death. It was a big deal to them. If you died honorably, uh, you know, that was a massive deal, you know. And Seneca kind of has a, a couple of different interpretations that fly around around what happened uh, at his death. Uh, some people believe that it was a kind of a cowardly death and uh, that he didn't handle it quite well. Uh, some people believe that he handled it with great honor. Um, uh, of course, for those of you who uh, don't know, Seneca uh, was actually sentenced to death by suicide by Nero. Uh, and so uh, the story goes that he uh, slit his wrists in a bathtub and bled out. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, this is, this is kind of looking at Seneca's writings before he died. And he's talking about this exact moment that he's somewhat famous for now. And so in that way, we're getting quite an interesting insight into uh, Seneca's life right now. And he gives some other really interesting points here, all directed towards that ultimate goal of showing us that death is this final test. But one of the things he says is, I shall leave it to death to determine what progress I have made. Therefore, with no faint heart, I am making ready for the day when, putting aside all stage artifice and actors rogue, I am to pass judgment upon myself, whether I am merely declaiming brave sentiments or whether I really feel them. Whether all the bold threats I have uttered against fortune are a pretense and a farce. So he's trying to say, listen, this it's it's almost as if he's talking about, you know, judgment day. This this day of death is going to be judgment day for him, where where he believes that he will pass judgment on himself and death will be the final judge uh, that points out whether this was all just a show. 
uh, whether it was or just an act, just a farce, right? Just a mask that he was wearing to seem a certain way. And look, many people believe uh, that that's exactly who Seneca was. Many people believe, and historians and philosophers believe that Seneca was this massive hypocrite who just spoke these words, but then when it really came down to it, he had no courage. He didn't stand up to people, perhaps. And, uh, and so, you know, leave it up to you to make up your own mind about whether, whether or not you think Seneca uh, lived according to his principles. But at least you can see here that he understands that, uh, you know, either way, whether he's judged as a coward or whether he's judged as an honorable person at that final day, he knows that that final moment, death is the, the, the God who will judge him, you know, at the end of his life. And, uh, and that's a very interesting thought to be having, especially seeing as, you know, he's in his old age here. He's already been talking about how his body's falling apart. And he's saying, you know what, this is coming. And uh, I don't know when it's going to come, but it's going to be here. And he's thinking about these things. And I wonder if any of us have spent, you know, this amount of time, this amount of consideration thinking about how we might handle that final moment of our lives, whether it is getting the note from the doctor that, you know, you've got a a terminal disease or whether it is some sort of, uh, you know, sudden awareness that you're, you're coming very close to that moment. I wonder if we spend that time thinking about those moments in our lives and thinking about, well, how am I really going to deal with that knowledge? How am I going to deal with that understanding that my death is drawing ever and ever closer? And, uh, and you know, I, I think that if you talk to people like Stephen Jenkinson, for example, who I've had on the podcast a couple of times, he wrote a beautiful book called Die Wise, where he talks about his experience, uh, you know, working in what he called the death trade in palliative care. And, uh, and you know, somebody like him with all his experience, he thinks that um, in, in Western culture, we are uh, ultimately unprepared for that knowledge that we are going to soon die and that we don't deal with that well at all. Um, and so this is really something that a lot of people need to think about. And so in the next few lines, you get the sense that Seneca is kind of uh, sitting there writing this letter, looking at his body decaying towards the end of his life. He's feeling old and frail, but nonetheless, his mind is still alive. And he's thinking back on his life and he's thinking, you know, all of these opinions of the people who I listened to, all of these books that I read, these wise speeches that I gave, all of these maxims that I gathered, all of this... Uh, you know, what does it really mean compared to this moment? You know, what does it mean in relation to the fact that I'm very likely will soon and, and sooner die? And so he says the following, he says, put aside the opinion of the world. It is always wavering and always takes both sides. Put aside the studies which you have pursued throughout your life. Death will deliver the final judgment in your case. This is what I mean. Your debates and learned talks, your maxims gathered of, from the teachings of the wise, your cultured conversations, all these afford no proof of the real strength of your soul. And so here we can again see that Seneca is bringing in this idea that the soul is superior. He's saying... 
all of these speeches, all of these words, all of these talks, all of these maxims, all of this show that I've been putting on this whole time, it doesn't mean anything because what truly matters is whether or not I have a strong soul at the end of my life. And he's, you know, really putting the soul in that highest place uh, in terms of his aims. And and that's something really beautiful to think about. You know, when, when we're reading the Stoics, when we're reading these ancients, we actually need to try to think like they thought. And one of the ways you can do that that is by focusing on what is it that they felt to be of highest importance, of the highest value, the, mo- the thing most worthy of aspiring to. And what you notice when you read Seneca's letters, you know, and we can debate all day about whether he lived this in his life, but through his letters you get the sense that what he was really trying to aspire to was a connection with his soul, the development of his soul, the strengthening of his soul, uh, which is, you know, also the development and strengthening of his, his character. And, and so this is just the final test. He's waiting for that final moment where he knows whether or not the work that he put in was actually worth something. And, you know, one of the main things that I'm really getting out of uh, this series uh, with Seneca that I'm doing here is, is just this sense that, you know, he spent so much time writing and thinking about the goods of his soul and the development of his soul. The, the health of his soul is probably a really good way to think about it. And I just wonder, you know, do we spend nearly enough time as we should in our modern age thinking about the health of our souls, you know, and, and or whether you call it the health of your character, the health of your spirit, the health of your soul, you know, I know that these things all have kind of varying degrees of differences between definition, but nonetheless, I think that it's safe to say that they all link in uh, to this idea of, uh, you know, that part of yourself that makes you truly who you are. Do we spend the time wondering about how we're going to deal with our own mortality? Do we spend the time thinking thinking about what is the true test of what we believe in life because what Seneca is saying here is that the true test of what you believe and 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 who you are comes not in the words that you're speaking it comes in the in the moments where you're in the fire right where where you're about to die or when you're face to face with your biggest fear or when you're face to face with some massive trial in life this is a theme that goes through Seneca's writings he's he's trying to figure out what actually is the proof of what you believe and and know in life. And I just wonder, do we, do we spend nearly enough time thinking about these questions in our modern age, or are we so distracted with externals and, and, and things that have really nothing to do with the goods of your soul? And so perhaps that's something to consider, is, uh, is whether or not you can spend a little bit more time inquiring within Uh, Okay, so Seneca goes on to say, even the most timid man can deliver a bold speech. Again, you know, this is coming from Seneca, who is, you know, writing this bold speech, but he understands that. He understands that it's just words. It doesn't really matter. This is going to be the final test, death. Uh, And so he goes, "Uh, what you have done in the past will be manifest only at the time when you draw your last breath. I accept the terms. I do not shrink from the decision. This is what I say to myself, but I would have you think that I have said it to you also. You are younger, but what does that matter? There is no fixed count of our years. You do not know where death awaits you, so be ready for it everywhere. 
Okay, so we see Seneca now rounding off these few verses with this idea that it doesn't matter how old you are, you should have death on your mind. And, you know, memento mori, remember death. Now, why should you have it on your mind? Because you are not guaranteed any amount of time in this life. All that you are guaranteed is this particular moment. The next moment is not guaranteed, and neither is the next day or the next month or the next year. You never know when death is going to be just around the corner. And so in that way, what Seneca is trying to teach us here is that it is always a good idea and never a bad idea to contemplate death, right? And to contemplate the moral health of your soul. Uh, And it's never a bad idea to contemplate how you would deal with a situation like that, with the knowledge of your looming death, or how you might deal with a calamity that might befall you in your life. Uh, You know, understanding that it's always useful to contemplate those things, because what it does is it brings you back to this understanding that we're not guaranteed anything in life. You don't have a whole bunch of time to play with. You have this moment and then possibly the next. And, and so, you know, it's just useful to have this at the front of your mind, memento mori, remember death. Seneca would have us do that at all times in our life, just in the same way that he said, you know, you don't have to be old or young to attain wisdom. Wisdom is available to everybody who decides to seek. There's something really beautiful and empowering about that idea. And I think it's true. I think that we do get to seek these goods of our soul, you know, at any point in our life. And there's something very, very beautiful about that, something very worthwhile. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there. And of course, we're going to finish off this letter in the next episode. But uh, I really hope you've taken away a few interesting thoughts from this uh, from this episode. And I hope that uh, as well, you managed to bring these thoughts and these meditations and everything we're talking about in these episodes over into your life so that it can actually have a tangible effect so that you're not just speaking, you know, that you're not just doing your your brave speeches as I'm doing here, of course, you know, uh, but it's actually embodied in your life and, and, and you're showing the proof of your work. It's very necessary. All right. So I'll talk to you next time.